Pod listeners, welcome back to the Total Water Polo podcast. Um, we welcome our first coach to the show this week, really excited. And to be fair, we, we probably couldn't start anywhere else other than with our guest today. This man revolutionised Hungarian water polo. He brought the team into the 21st century. He led Hungary to three back-to-back gold medals, overseeing one of the most dominant periods uh, in the sport's history, certainly for the men. He won 24 major medals in 29 events. That's incredible. And actually, in the early 2000s, he played a massive part in developing some of the best players uh, we've seen play the game. It's Denis Kameni. Now, um, just before we start, uh, I just need to remind you, just head over to Wear Water Polo. Make sure you make full use of our 10% off using our discount code PODCAST10. If there's any stash or any kit you like, head over there see uh, if we can sort you out. But anyway, let's get on with it. I hope you enjoy listening to my chat with Dennis Kameni. Okay, Dennis, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. We've got over our little technical issue and uh, we're ready to go. Um, so, I mean, we've got so much to talk about. We'll obviously talk about uh, the golden generation that, that you oversaw. We'll talk about your uh, your work as the president. Uh, but I would like to start off just talking a bit about your your early career and particularly your playing career, because I'm not sure many people focus on that. And I, I would like to just uh, just talk about it a little bit. You played for BVSE, Tatabanya. FTC and also in Italy, um, you played for Hungary. Um, how do you re- reflect on your playing career? Yeah, you know, uh, uh, people can uh, watch their own uh, sport career like a glass of water. Uh, how much is it full? So as I have been uh, an international player, um, first game in the national team I, uh, I played, it was... 74 and the last game was 86 so it means that 13 seasons I was in and out so I was not a a top player but good enough to be uh, called to the national squad often it means for me that uh, I was happy with my career Uh, I have seen a lot of players who are crying back their crucial moments of their career and they are not satisfied even if they are gold medalist in major event. Instead of this, I was always happy and I played uh, over the, the, the clubs you have mentioned. I played in Melbourne in Australia a season and we won the Australian titles after 15 years that uh, Victoria State didn't win. So it was a a huge result and it gave me a lot of happiness. And then I turned uh, on my Italian part for 10 years. Five years was was a player of the of the first team in Como, right on the border with Switzerland. And then the, the other five years I was coaching the same team I was playing previously. So uh, So I was very happy with my player background. And I think that my player background, even if it was not the top one, but was good enough 
to be a coach with the necessary authority that any kind of issue we had with the team, they knew that um, my player background is good enough that I can have a good idea. Even it was a personal thing with my, with my, uh, with some player or uh, general team issue. So, and I realized that the really, really top players, they have sometimes difficulty with their coaching period as their players they just watch them that they are on the top so high that it, it gives them um, uh, a breaking future because they cannot be compared to their coach and the coach is the boss. So boss is important because the last word is always uh, of the boss, uh, but the... The actors are the players. So during the game, the main part is not the bosses, but the, uh, is, the, is the actors, the players. So it is important that you have to give them confidence that they are not smaller than you yourself, even if you, you are the, the leader. So uh, let's say it was a little bit longer answer about my, my player background, but something I, I connected right now to the coaching uh, period. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you said they're giving players confidence and you said about the act, you know, the players being the actors and we'll come back to that later. And it was quite nice to hear you talking about when you were playing in Australia, that your team hadn't won a title in a long time and then you brought the title home. Obviously, there's big parallels there with what you did with the Hungarian national team, and already we're onto it, so we we might as well um, we might as well talk about it. Um, you took over in 1997 um, at a time where the country had failed to medal at the Olympics in in 20 years. Um, sixth in 1992, fourth in 1996. Um, you know Barcelona and Atlanta. Um, do you think the progress was being made before you arrived or or was was the country just in a bit of stagnation when it came to the water polo, the men's national team? The previous Olympic period, um, before I started uh, to coach the national team, I think was a successful uh, four years. Uh, the problem was that the, um, the last event, uh, the Olympics in Atlanta, uh, the national team was one of the favorites for the gold medal. We played semi-final. We were uh, up against Spain, then we lost the game. Then the same very difficult game for bronze medal against Italy, and we lost the bronze in overtime, in extra time. So uh, I think that uh, the reason I was called that uh, it was another Olympics without medal for a country who have won previously eight Olympic gold medals. So um, so I became the, the head coach and uh, I targeted uh, for Sydney the gold medal, which I think was a little bit different than previously the head coaches, they wanted the, the podium, they wanted a medal. But uh, my target was the gold medal. 
And if you realize that this is a huge responsibility and this is a huge uh, work to do to be one of the best team, because you cannot be the only best team. You can be one of the best team. And then to win the gold medal, you have 10 days or you have two weeks during the Olympics. That is important that you arrive there as one of the favorites. If you are not a favorite, you can make surprises, but you cannot win. We started to work. The players agreed with our target. The players loved that our target was the gold medal as all the youngsters, uh, they dream to win the Olympics because other sports like tennis or football, Olympics are important, but not the major events like tennis. Wimbledon is the major event or US Open uh, or Roland Garros uh, in football, the World Cup, but in water polo or in, in uh, volleyball, handball, the most important event is the Olympics. And we play only every four years. So for the youngsters in Hungary, the dream is to become Olympic uh, gold medalist because they see in the swimming pools, in the, in the hall, all the names on the wall of the Olympic winners. And they want their name on the wall when they are 10 years old. So uh, this target was not strange for, him, for my players. Uh, okay, they didn't agree when I uh, explained them how much we will work as a daily program, six, seven hours training a day. Uh, they, their dream was important. They wished to work a little bit less and to win the same way. But I explained them that if all the opposite teams, they work a lot, we have to do the same. And then we, if we are more talented, or our character is stronger, then that can be the difference to win at the end. But we cannot uh, save our working edge. So we had to work the, the same quantity and a, a very good quality of working. So, uh, so I think this was, uh, this was the, um, uh, the path to, to get to the top. So you came in straight away. You won two European championships, 97 in Sevilla, um, 99 in Florence, also the World Cup in, in Sydney. Um, you, you spoke previously about giving um, targeting Sydney Olympics as a, as a medal, uh, as a gold medal. Do you remember that first uh, team meeting you had with the team? Um, do you remember thinking something needed to change, um, maybe tactically or, or culturally? Yes, I, I uh, you know, it was important for me that before the first training session, I want to see the players. I want to have uh, a team meeting, uh, a long chat with them, uh, with the team and with some single players. So when I explained them the target, they were happy. And then I asked them to be together uh, an, an important united uh, way of thinking because normally when you have uh, older players, big stars, they normally don't help the youngsters. And as we had a lot of youngsters, big talents, the value was far away from the from their maximum. I had to ask the older ones to change the, the normality and to help the youngsters in their improvement. And this way, uh, the improvement of the team 
was accelerated. And as you, as you just mentioned, in August in Seville, in Spain, we were one of the four or five teams who could win the gold medal, and fortunately, we did it. So uh, I, I explained them that we will build the team for Sydney, but we want to perform our best during uh, the, the interval events, like the two Europeans, World Champs, World Cup. We always uh, won medal, three times gold, then one silver and one bronze in three years. So it means that the target was always Sydney, the Olympics, but with our second eye, we were targeting always um, the next uh, event. So uh, the first event in Seville, the average of the age of the team was uh, perfect for Sydney, not for Seville. So this was a, a huge risk by myself because if uh, we are fifth or sixth at the at the Europeans, then I am out for sure because uh, I uh, have put together the team for for a four-year period, not for the first event. But that was my introducing to the players, to the public, to the federation, to the Hungarian sport people. So it was a huge risk. But um, as we could win... It, it gave to the team and gave even to me uh, uh, the power to continue. It gave us uh, the, uh, the view that the things we did in the first nine months can bring us the victory. So it means that we just have to continue and improve and improve. Um, you said that, and it's really, really interesting. Um about risk playing the younger players and you felt, oh, maybe if you didn't didn't do so well, maybe a fifth or sixth finish, you'd be out. There's there's two things to say about that. Do, do you think that those wins in Sevilla and Florence in 99, they gave you as a coach a bit of credibility? And secondly, do you think those early victories for those young players gave them the belief that they could go on to win the, the Olympic Games? You know, the credibility of the coach's ideas... Uh, have been underlined by the result. And um, their confidence grew. We had to continue. We had to, had to continue with the same spirit of work, with the same spirit of performing. I think that that was even very important that I didn't want any player in the team for whom his personal performance was more important than the team result. It's easy to say, but when you have to pick decisions that very good, important, internationally important player, you mean, you think that he's not fitting together with the rest of the team and you have to change him for another player, obviously, uh, technically a weaker player, but you think that this way the absolute value of the team will grow. These decisions are hard, but these decisions give huge credibility uh, in front of your players. So I was really risking some decisions, but these decisions um, was decisions to be picked by the coach. 
And if I take this job, I have to do that. And uh, I knew that if I, if I make a mistake, then I did it. And if I lose my job or we lose an important event, that's my mistake. So I shouldn't listen to other ideas because I had to be sure uh, that if we win, uh, that's my good choice. If we lose, that's my bad choice and I will pay for it. The only very important opinion of people was the opinion of my players. So with the most important players, I always had a dialogue and they could convince me to change, but they never uh, made any in, uh, interference about picking the team, picking the roster. That was important that they uh, they told me their opinion about the workout, about the program, let's say, if we have a, or not a morning session only the afternoon or or uh, or any other issues or the choice of the hotel and so on, but not about picking the certain players. That was my job. Once I asked one of the best players what's his opinion and he answered me that you have to make your choice. You did it always yourself and hopefully it was always good. So. What would happen if a player didn't, I didn't buy into to that. You've spoken about when Hungarian guys and girls, they, when they're 10, they want their name on the wall and stuff. And what, what would happen if, if a player put themselves above the rest of the team? Would you, would you sit down with them and say, look, if you continue with this, you're going? Or would you not put the arm around the shoulder and they would be straight out? How, how would you manage that situation? You, normally, you go step by step. If you see that there is a chance that you can change the mind of your player, then you start with talking, then you can make uh, some disciplinary uh, act, uh, and then uh, you can have your result. Or if you see that some character issue of a player is so important and so negative that you don't have to, the chance to change his mind, then the easiest is to change the player. I will talk about a few players uh, in a second, but I, I think we'll we'll just talk about each of the Olympics, uh, the 2000, 2004, 2008 in isolation. Um, just the 2000 Olympics. So obviously, as we've discussed, you've had a bit of success going into it. The pressure after 20 years without a medal, did that weigh heavily on, on you and your squad? I mean, you beat Russia 13-6 in the final. Were you surprised how big that that margin of victory was? And were you surprised how well that you uh, you played? Or was it just a, um, a byproduct of, um, of the process that you were undertaking with the squad? Yes, Sydney Olympics was very interesting because it was our first... Uh first Olympic experience. And, you know, some players have played Olympics before, some of my players, but the minor part of the team. The major part of the team, more than 50% of the team, they have played their first Olympics. And it was the same for me. I didn't play at Olympics as a player. So, um, obviously, it was strange. It was, uh, I think... Uh, it was an important idea before that I thought that the Olympic Village, including the days you have to spend in Australia before the first game because of the time zone difference, should be so much, should be eight, nine or ten days 
So it means that you are there for more than a week and then you start to play and then you have other nine days to play. It becomes so much boring and so much uh, frustrating to be in the village. So I decided to have a training camp in Brisbane and we just arrived two days before the first game. And during the group games, we lost two important games uh, against Croatia and against Serbia, against Yugoslavia at that time. So uh, we had a chance for an, uh, an autocritic, an examination of ourselves, because everybody, all the players, they knew what they missed during the games. They wanted to make it correctly, just they didn't, just they couldn't do that. So then we had a day off. Uh, uh, I left them to have something uh, different program. They went in the city and they had a nice evening together. And then uh, I think that the pressure went off from their shoulders. And then they started to play as they can. And we have beaten uh, a favorite for the gold medal, who was Italy in the quarterfinal. Three goals difference. Then a very difficult game again against Yugoslavia. We lost against them a few days uh, previously. So then we won the semifinal. And in the final, finally, the, the team played the best game during the Olympics, the best of the eight games, the best moment. Okay, you have to play well, otherwise you don't play the final. But when you play the final, you can win the game with an ugly game. But it's easier to win the game with a nice game. So um, the players played as they ca- as they could. The Russian team had a very difficult uh, semi-final the day before, so they were a little bit tired as well. But anyway, I think that that day, even if with not the huge goal difference as you mentioned, but we should win anyway. So I think that at the end, the idea to spend in the village less than the other teams paid a lot because uh, when the other teams got bored of the village and all the cir- uh, circumstances, well, we had uh, the good chance to play our best in the last three days. Good, good, yeah. Um, you, you said there that you lost two games and you, you lost to Serbia beforehand before then taking them on in, in the semis. Um, you see that quite often in Olympic Games. I mean, you saw it in Tokyo and you saw it in Rio as well. You know, uh, teams beating teams and then the pressure's on them, the winners, it, later on in the competition, isn't it? Because the pressure's not on necessarily on the losers. And often teams end up beating other teams that they've already lost to earlier on in the competition. Uh, it's very difficult to win eight games in a row. You can do that. Uh, but uh, the problem is that game by game, you start to believe that you are unbeatable. And even if you speak about that, uh, hey, guys, we have a difficult game tomorrow, let's prepare the maximum and so on. But uh, in the deep of your mind, after the victories, you can believe that you can lose. You can't really believe that you can lose. So it was much more difficult for us to win uh, in Athens because in Athens we won all the group games, then we won the semifinal and we won the final. And in the semifinal we had to beat Russia, 
who have, we have beaten in the group. And in the final, we have to beat uh, Serbia Montenegro, who we have beaten in the group game as well. So to beat two strong teams two times in two weeks, it's very, very difficult. Much easier to beat them once. Normally, doesn't happen. It was luck or our, uh, our spirit to beat them two times. As you can uh, think about Sydney, that we have uh, lost against Yugoslavia, and then we have beaten them in the semis. So I think that this year or last year in Tokyo, uh, Serbians had the had the fortune to lose in in the group games. Then they were they had to make an auto examination about the reasons, and then they uh, started to play in a different level in the last three days. So it helps a lot. And uh, in Sydney, we were lucky this way. And in essence, it was uh, much more difficult, but we could manage ourselves to beat the two teams two times who have been silver and bronze medalists. You spoke about um, a, a difficult situation in the team where you think you're unbeatable. We will come back to that shortly because... Uh, we, we do want to talk about that a little bit. Um, moving away from Sydney then, and let's go to 2004. So the pressure has gone from 2000 being, well, this team hasn't won in 20 years, to now this team has won in, in the last Olympics and now they need to retain their title. Um, look, there's, there's so much to talk about, um, but obviously we, we have to talk about that final. Um, I, I watched the the match uh, replay last night just to just to get a bit of a feel for it because I, I hadn't watched it in such a long time. Some people say it's one of the greatest comebacks of of all time. But what, two two goals down yeah. in, in the last yes. period. Um, I think lots of people were interested. Um, what what did you say uh, at the beginning, uh, uh, just before the the last quarter? And and also I noticed last night there was a timeout with about forty seconds to go. Um, they're not the same question, but they're the same idea, basically. What what were you saying before that last quarter? And then what did you say, having come back to hold on to that lead? You've got a minute to go. You know, the, the main problem any team has, or every team has, uh, they, when they don't play, they are level. Because they, we are not machines. So we're humans. And as we played all the group games, and even the semi-final, very well, our negative day has arrived in the final day. So from the beginning, we just are 50-60%, especially in attack. The only player was Gergen Kish who played his normal game. All the other players had a, a, a less than an average uh, form. So we arrived to the last quarter and I realized that uh, the only thing I cannot ask them that, hey boys, we have seven minutes to play. So we have to win 3-0, otherwise we lose the gold medal. Because uh, as I realized from the bench that we are 50-60% uh, of ourselves, I was sure that they know. And if I ask them to win 3-0, they start to laugh at me. That you don't, you don't watch the game, you don't see that we are ugly today. So the only thing I asked them is, was the defense. Because even if you don't play well, then you are the closest target you can reach is to make your defense stronger because to build up the attack is much more difficult than to destroy the attack of the opposite team. So what I asked them was a reachable target. 
and they started to smile that he doesn't want us to win 3-0. He just asked us not to make the opposite team score another goal. So I asked them to make their 110% in defense and the attack we shall see. And I think that this uh, gave them some confidence that they started to play, first of all, 100, not 110%, 200% in defense. Uh, we were uh, un- Our defense was unbeaten in seven minutes and four times we were extreme defense, so man down, but uh, no goal was scored. And uh, we got from the sky some uh, some present. The present was the three goals. Three goals we started to, to score. And uh, let's say that over Gergay Kish, who was playing very well in attack all the game, but Tomasz Kasia started to play as he can for the last quarter. Uh, it was enough for that day. Normally, it's not enough. The only one quarter you play as you can. But uh, that day, because of the good defense, was enough. And then, uh, you know, the last time out was just uh, to concentrate, not to lose the ball, to make, to help them to make fast breaks. Because it was sure that the pressure after they taught the opposite team, uh, they thought that that final is won. Uh, then we started to come back. It was seven old, then eight seven for us. It was they were under pressure, so I was sure that if they can score, it's much easier for them in a fast break, not six against six. So I just asked them that in attack, if we don't score, no uh, no problem, just come back everybody and to to put pressure on a Serbia-Montenegro attack. And uh, then the game was over. Well, when the game was over, and it is probably one of the most iconic moments in, in, a, in a you know memorable multiplayer history, uh, you running up the side of the pool side with both arms in the air. What, what Do you ever watch that video back? And do, what were you feeling? And what do you feel if you ever... You see highlights, highlights of that. Do you, do you remember your emotion? Yes, you know, if you win like you, we have won in Sydney, then uh, you can celebrate your victory three, four minutes before the end of the game. And when there is the final whistle, you're just happy. But that's not a, uh, not a surprise because you start to use to use to uh, to be the gold medalist. So in Athens. Even the last attack was a Serbian attack. Then they had a shot in extra man, which was uh, saved by a goalie. Uh, Then they had the last second for a corner shot. So we had to wait until the last whistle. And then uh, you uh, you just realized right at the end of the game that you you won the game. So that was emotionally a very different respect Sydney or respect Beijing. First of all, this emotion, and there was another emotion, that we had uh, four new arrivals in the team, in the squad of the 13 players who haven't played in Sydney. So right at the end of the game, uh, we realized that nine players in the world who have arrived in a since with the gold medal of Sydney and the head coach, we were anyway gold medalist. But the four, I don't say youngsters, the four new arrivals, for them, um, the target was, was much more important than for us. So the responsibility of the players and me 
was very, very high for these four players. And uh, as I realized at the end that we helped them to feel the same emotion what we have felt four years previously, I just got to know that some players of my team who have been who have played in Sydney felt the same thing. And I was very proud of them because, okay, for the coach, all the players are like your your sons or your kids. But for the teammates that they felt nine players responsibility for the new four players, it means that I was proud of my team, that the mentality of my team probably was the best in the Olympics. And this was the reason that we could win the final where we played minimum three quarters very ugly. And to to win a final with that level of playing, it means that you you won it by your heart and by your head. Your mentality was the winner mentality, not only the skills. We'll, we'll talk about that in a, a little bit as well. Um, it was a beautiful moment. Um, again, it comes back to pressure before we go to... 2008 in Beijing. You lost two world championships in a row, uh, the finals. So, Trill against Serbia, Montenegro, and then 2007 in Melbourne in Croatia. You spoke a little bit earlier about how losing sometimes gives you a chance to look outwards and look inwards. And did, do you think that did give you a reality check? And do you think the confidence of the team started to fade? Montreal defeat against Serbia was far away from Beijing. So, I think that. Uh, it's a pity that we we lost that game. Uh, we had chances during the game to to lead, to lead more than uh, we did. We missed some uh, easy chances. At the end, they they won, and uh, I think that uh, all over that game, uh, Serbia Montenegro was better than us. But uh, the Melbourne defeat against Croatia one year before uh, Beijing had an influence for Beijing, I think. Because first of all, gave the Croatian team a huge responsibility that they became one of the favorites for Beijing. So I think that that responsibility didn't help the young Croatian team. And for us, um, uh, gave some chance to make an uh, autocritic and auto-examination. I was speaking about uh, Sydney Olympics. So, but we had a year, and then we realized uh, some technical issues. What we had to change, and uh, my uh, experience that when you have a mental problem, you start to. Uh, to lose your confidence, then uh, the help can come by technical issues. If you find the reason that you don't perform as you could, the technical reason, and you adjust the technical reason, then your mental power becomes stronger. So we had more than a year by working on, and then we arrived to the to Beijing, that we were one of the three, four favorite team for the gold medal, not the only one, but we were one of the favorites. And as we as we knew that this is a historical target, for us to win in Beijing was something like to win in Sydney, the first after 24 years. 
And here it was the first that the same nation can win uh, three gold in a row. But the difference between England did the beginning of the, the 20th century that there was a world war on the way. So the team has been changed. And as you change the team, there are different players with different motivation. But when you have to do it in nine years, the, the three Olympic gold, that half of the team are the same names, are the same players, it's very difficult to motivate them the same way as uh, it was before the first one. You talk about changing motivations. Um, and also, just a nice little shout out there to the three consecutive golds that Great Britain got. Never again, that, that will happen. Um, but yeah, you, you talked about changing things. Sometimes it can be difficult changing things when what you've been doing has led to success. And, you know, the three gold medals over an eight-year eight year period, what was the biggest thing you had to change to improve? Um, when you're winning, uh, it's, it's sometimes it's easy to take your foot off the gas and not improve because you know what you've done has helped you get uh, the gold. But what, what did you change, um, if anything, during your time between those three gold medals? Um, I always looked for... Uh... Uh, to refresh the roster. Refreshing the roster gives a chance to the players to realize that nobody have the insurance to be a member of the team. Nobody can make an insurance uh, with the Lloyd company that he will be for the next four years uh, a member of the team. If you change a player, a gold medalist player for an, a youngster, then everybody realizes that that anyone can be changed. This is a, an important personal uh, motivation, system motivation chance. Then there is another thing that if you want to improve your workout system, if you want to improve individual improvements uh, system of the players, of the individual players, if you want to improve tactically your team, the strategy of the team, all these things when you improve as a head coach, then it gives a motivation to the players that they have, have to improve themselves. After the first Olympics, I worked out, I have worked out to all single players, personal improvement chances. I explained them that your speed, your rapidity, or your shot on, 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 uh, in attack, or uh, your defense game can be improved from uh, six to seven or from six to eight because you have teammates who can do that better. It means that even if they are Olympic gold medalists, but they have a personal target uh, in one year to improve and to be a better player. If you have eight players of 13 who have improved, then your team altogether become stronger, then any new idea you have, they can make value of your new ideas as they have improved personally, individually. And the same thing that uh, I started to improve my attack players in defense. And this way, I slowly started to play in defense with attack players. It means that when we were in attack, our team uh, was stronger than, than previously. So, and this 
these changes were after Olympic gold medal. So what normally you can do that after an Olympic gold medal, you think that you did everything 100%, otherwise you don't win. And if you do that, you will be surprised because after an Olympics, for the four-year period, you have to work for the next Olympic period, then, then you are the target for all the other teams. So if the target is the same one that was the previous Olympics, then it's very easy to prepare for the other teams because that's the target and I have to be, to be to, I have to be better to three goals of that team because they are the best team because they win the gold medal. But if you improve yourself, even with the gold medal at home, five, six goal value in four years period, then uh, the difference, uh, the gap can you, you can keep respect the other teams. It doesn't mean that you will win because in a single game you can lose even against a weaker team. Because a single game is different than, than your value, okay? Uh, it means that if you play a stronger team plays as a two, three goal weaker uh, team ten times, eight times, the stronger team will win. But you never know which are those two games when you lose and can happen in the Olympics. So it's better if you are more stronger, if you are much stronger, not only two, three goal, but uh, four, five goal. But it means that you have to improve your player single uh, individually and you have to, to improve your team spirit, your team tactics and so on. Just fascinating stuff. You said right at the beginning that um, taking out a gold medalist and putting a younger player in that keeps all the players keen and on their toes. I think over the, the three Olympic Games where you won the golds, I think there were 21 or 22 players used. Um, but I think it's fair to say um, that there were really six. There was a core team of six you know, top players that the whole the whole thing was built around. Obviously, Tamas Casas, you know, great passer, great shooter, but an, an unbelievable defender. Uh, Tamas Molnar, centre-forward, everything you want in a centre-forward. Garagay, left-hander, just can score goals yep. for days. Got four in the final in 2004. Uh, Zoltan Zeshi, the keeper. It's always important to have a keeper. And obviously, um, Tibor Benedek. Um just a few words on 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 those players, if if you wouldn't mind, just just maybe a little summary on on, on each of them and and how important they were to the project. I don't like um, to pull out singles because the team is winning and the team is losing. I think the power of all these players you mentioned, the power uh, to be to be a, uh, generally a gold medalist player, not only Olympics but but in, in club competitions, in other international uh, national team competitions, that they could play under their teammates during a certain game when we were winning. And Tomasz Kasias was ready to help. Let's say you mentioned Peter Biros or Tomasz Molnar or Gergely Kish or Timur Benedek. If uh, you you have two, three or three, four players of these names, but I can mention other players who have been playing in two Olympics 
or one Olympics. But two, three of these were enough to beat anyone. The others had to play an average game. The problem we didn't have ever that big names you have mentioned before, when they realized that their teammates were the extra player of that certain day, certain game, they just started to help them, not to start to uh, make rivalry against them or with them. So one game, three of them have been the winner, maybe two days after, other three of them. But uh, many times the, the, the winning team during the game can lose when uh, some extra important player start to to play the last part of the game because of himself, because they think that the, the game is won and I want to add something by myself. This can be a danger. And uh, my players were so intelligent that uh, I had six, seven players who could make the difference, but three of them were enough. The rest of these, they just were playing their part and they um, uh, they let uh, the, the the daily best players to win the game yeah. without um, making trouble. Just just a word on Tibor Benedek. Obviously, very sadly, we lost him a few years ago. Um, second all-time Olympic goal scorer, joint top goal scorer at Barca in '92, and then Atlanta. I think he was the outright top goal scorer. Can you just uh, give a little tribute to his legacy, not only as a as a player, but also he was your assistant between 2010 and 2012, and him as a person? Uh, Tibor was um, an, an idol sport person for a coach because he did everything you wanted from him to beat anybody, to to win anything. And it means that when he realized that some players are natively more talented, then he worked more to be equal. When he realized that uh, he had to make something else what usually he did, because this will help the, the team victory, he did it. So he was... Uh, um, a top player, but with the mentality of an average player. Average, I mean, that the player who knows that he has uh, teammates, maybe more talented, maybe more stars, but he is a team player. So Tibor was the same time a team player and an individually a very, very well prepared player. I can tell you uh, personal talk when we started to uh, co cooperate together in 97 January I told them that Tibor you were the top scorer of the of the past lot of major events without gold medals so I don't want you anymore you can be a top scorer but I don't want you to be a top scorer but I won gold medals. And when you are, you know, let's say a, a prima donna, 
you are a, a big, big star, worldwide star, world-class player, then you realize that your coach want you a little bit less uh, spectacle, uh, individual performance, but one, once he wants gold medals, and then you do that, it means that Tibor was an, an excellent player for a coach, and uh, he became the inside leader of the team, not anymore score, scoring so much, but leading as, as a person. So uh, to change your way of playing for more for the team and less for, uh, for personal achievement, it means that his, uh, his mental power was... If I told you 200% of defense, his was 1,000%, his yeah. mental power. Yeah, there is a le- There's a lesson there for, for young players, you know, adapt. It's not all about scoring. It's, it's about the betterment of the team. It's, it's a lovely story and he, he's sorely missed. Uh, just before we move on um, away from the Olympics, um, I've been prompted to, to bring this up. Um, our, our friend at Total Water Polo, Laszlo Balog, who, uh, who you know well, he, he takes absolutely fantastic photographs. And if you go on our website, for those that are listening, you know, a lot of our top, top photography is, is courtesy of him. And um, there's a story about a time that you may have got a red, a red card and he was communicating because he was a accredited pho- photographer. Are you going to uh, share any, share anything on that? I can see you're grinning a little bit. If he authorizes us to speak about, I do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> So, uh, yes, in Sydney, I was red-carded because of passing the seven-meter line uh, two times. Uh, then it was a yellow, then a red. And I was suspended uh, for two games. And then we found out that he had um, the Reuters badge on his, uh, on, his, uh, on his T-shirt. So he could move around the, the, the pool deck, but nobody knew that he's Hungarian. So, you know, I, as I was forbidden to use my cell phone, I had uh, not f- far away from me a, a Hungarian press person, Gergely Churka, who was using his, uh, his uh, cell phone, sending my messages to Laszlo at the pool deck, who has transmitted my messages to the bench. Um, okay, <laughs> players and... Um, and uh, the coach that day, they didn't accept all my messages, but basically uh, they uh, followed. So, uh, okay, the, the, um, the game we won against US and then the other game we lost against Serbia, but losing the game against Serbia gave us the chance uh, to beat them in the semifinal. As I told you, it's very difficult to win uh, two times against the same team in short time. So... I think that helped us that uh, the Serbian team lost against uh, won against us in the in the last group game. But anyway, Laszlo helped us a lot. I don't know if after that this is public now, we will have the chance anymore to move on the pool deck. <laughs> but this is his problem. Yeah, maybe maybe we'll do a bit of editing before it goes out. But no, um, that's it's a fantastic story. Moving away from the Olympics, um, okay. So you, you step down after London. Um, you acted as president 
of uh, the Water Polo Federation in Hungary. I just want to speak a little bit, and obviously I know we've been going for a bit of a while, so not not too long. But uh, Hungarians just love the water. I, I've been I've been to Hungary a dozen or so times. The relationship with water polo swimming, um, it's just something else. It's something else. You've probably got the best league in the world, and probably the best structure of of coaching. Um, and I guess as someone that's been so uh, integral uh, and pivotal in that, um, it is how how has it happened? Is it the money, or or is there something else that underpins the success of the sport in the country? Um, the success of Hungarian water polo is coming from the uh, uh, the age of uh, of the beginning of twentieth century. Right after the First World War, uh, in uh, all over the world, we had the the highest number of thermal water swimming pools, which means that we could train all the year in in uh, warm water, and and other countries they could could train in sea, they could train in lakes. Uh, and later on, they could train in, in swimming pools, but it was a huge uh, cost to, to warm up the water. Hungary, uh, we had the swimming pools in Budapest, in some uh, some cities with a thermal water, and it was 12 months to train. And when you are comfortable in the water, it means... 26, 27 degrees of uh, of uh, centigrade in the water, you can train much longer. You can train much more by your skills. Otherwise, uh, you swim a lot. Don't feel to, to to not not to feel the cold water. So I think that the the history gave us the chance that we were very skillful. It means that Hungary started to win Olympics in 1932. Then anytime we had a good team, the Hungarian um, supporters, uh, they just felt that this is normal. So as we had a historical background of the good results, uh, in Hungary, when the volleyball team is strong, then it's normal for all the sport people. And it's normal uh, even for all the opposite teams, for the opposite nations, that Hungary is strong and that's it. But this is coming from, let's say, the last 100 years. And now this difference we don't feel because everywhere in the world you can have the warm water or the good water swimming pools, but the tradition gives you a lot. And... um, uh, when we started to win with the team when I was head coach and later on when I became the president, we always uh, could uh, grow up uh, the number of the kids in the pool. From 1500 uh, in 97 up to now, it's about 10,000. So we have a huge number of kids we now uh, we started to make uh, uh, more uh, chance to educate coaches, not only self-made coaches, but um, education in university level, in uh, clinics, 
So we needed much more coaches than we needed for 1500 kids. So all these systems we improved when I became president. It's improved even now by the presidency of uh, Attila Vari, who is who was is my my former player. So I think that we have always uh, thanks for the government program. We has all, we have always more and more swimming pools, and we have more coaches. We have more kids. We, so we have more chance to find out new big talents. Uh, and you know uh, the big teams have a very good average and some very good extra uh, extraordinary players. So we need both of them to be gold medalists for any important major event. And speaking of important major events, you're looking forward to the World Championships uh, later in the summer. I've uh, I've heard that you're on the organising committee. Yes, um, we had the first meeting last week. Okay, what 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 in what capacity are you uh, you involved? Uh, probably Attila Vari and myself. We will be involved for Waterpolo organisation. But uh, when I was the president for six seasons, we organized seven major events, including another World Champs, European Water Polo Champs, and, and other events. Uh, um, and uh, I think we are uh, expert in organization. So it's just to, to pull out uh, our knowledge, our, our experience of the last uh, 10 years. And I'm sure that uh, we will help the, the general operative uh, committee by our, our experience, by our uh, our knowledge about the events, even when we were player, when we were coach, or dirigent, or uh, or manager, or now when we are the organizing committee member. Yeah. I mean, you've you've won enough gold medals at these competitions. You should probably know how they're uh, they're run a little bit. Um, just one last one before we we take a break. Um, the current Hungarian setup at the moment. They won bronze in in Tokyo. Your form, one of your former players at Sydney, uh, Thomas March, is is the coach. Um, how, how do you evaluate um, his job at the moment um, with the team? And do, do you think they could be in for a shout of a for a medal at the World Champs again? I'm sure that in Budapest we will have the chance to win a medal because uh, as we were uh, bronze medalist in Tokyo, uh, the draw probably will help us to pass on the first position in the group. And then uh, quarterfinal, we can have a difficult game, but difficult game we can win in Margaret Island. So when, when you are in the top four, just one victory of the two games, you are medal zone. Two victories, the gold medal. So I think that he's uh, he's doing his job well because uh, uh, he always worked a lot on the the choice of the goalkeeper, which is more than fifty percent of your end result, and even centre forward position, he's looking for uh, the best solutions and. Um, my opinion that if you are okay in goalie position and in center forward, then especially in Hungary, you have a lot of good wings, good shooters, uh, good, uh, good fast players. So the most important are these two positions. Even center back is important, but center back you have uh, different players who can play during the game. 
but center forward you can have uh, normally two players uh, alternating and goalie probably one is enough <laughs> if your choice is good so uh, I think that the structure of the team is good the problem is that the only thing you cannot do uh, that the opposite teams uh, will be strong as well so you don't have any influence on the on the level of the opposite teams that uh, you we shouldn't find I think any unbeatable team but we will find a lot of teams minimum four or five teams uh, who will be difficult to be beaten so uh, if it's easy any anybody could sh- uh, should do that it's not easy I'm looking forward to it. Hopefully I'll get out there myself and watch a few of the games. Anyway, that's uh, we'll leave it there for for part one and we'll be back in part two with uh, with some questions. Okay. Okay, welcome back to part two. Uh, this is the bit where we uh, answer questions that have been sent in for you, Denesh. Uh, the question we ask every week, we asked Felipe last week and Maddie the week before. Can you give us your dream seven? So uh, past or present players, you may have played, coached, um, met them. H- who is your dream seven? My dream seven was satisfied because I was different times, more times. I was guest of Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah. And I could learn a lot from him and I could assist uh, training sessions because uh, you can buy a ticket to Old Trafford, but you ca- cannot go to Carrington. Yeah. And uh, uh, he's a really nice person. Uh, uh, he was uh, interested, about, interested about my job. And I, I don't think he learned something from me. But I learned a lot from him, uh, how important is the team and how much more important the team than uh, the person of person as, as a coach or person as a player. Okay. Um, we've got a question here from uh, Franco Lazic. Who is the best player you've ever coached and why? I know earlier on in the show you said you didn't want to single out individuals, but this, person, this person's asking. I think... Uh, so I'm sure that I, I can I can tell some names, but um, uh, he can understand me uh, that I don't mention because if you have 21 Olympic gold medalists, it means that uh, if you mention one, you didn't mention 20. And uh, we needed all of them to achieve this big result. But probably the the six players who have played all three Olympics, um, they are outstanding players. But um, that's the maximum I can tell you. How about then, to to be a bit fair, if it's if it's not someone that you've coached, so uh, one of the best players you've ever ever seen, maybe that you didn't coach, maybe on one of those. Yugoslavia, Yugoslav teams, or Serbia, or or maybe someone that's playing at the moment. Um, absolutely, was an outstanding player in one sense. Uh, is Manuel Estiarte from Spain, 
because of two reasons that uh, first of all to play uh, six olympics uh, for any player it's it's very very uh, difficult to do in a team sport then second that his his physical uh, chances his, his physically he was absolutely not an outstanding water polo player and uh, with his uh, uh, with his physical chances he could uh, he could uh, uh, reach all these uh, all these uh, club and national team results like world champ Olympic champ and uh, and the European uh, Cup gold medal. So I think that um, he was outstanding because of uh, because of uh, respect other teams. Uh, even Spain was uh, was not as favorite as other teams, and they could win in Atlanta. They could win in Perth World Champs. And uh, the influence of him, mental and uh, in the game, was uh, really outstanding. Yeah, Manuel, that was uh, that's what Felipe Perone said as well. Um, we got a question here from Chongi04. Who's the best coach right now in Europe? Uh, all these questions are very difficult because um, uh, because to choose one, uh, it's not easy. I think that the uh, the the coaches value you can give them respect the value of the players the value of the squad and the uh, the result they uh, they achieve with their squad. Not always the gold medalist coach is the best. I so I again sorry I don't. Uh, tell you any name but uh, uh, but not only one coach I should mention because uh, like uh, like nations like squads uh, you guide as a coach are not the same level so this is a relative good coaching uh, job they do uh minimum five six coaches i think they are on the same level a bit of intrigue we'll we'll try and we'll try and work them out in the in the weeks to come um on a similar note um it's it's a bit of a difficult question to um to answer for you but i'm going to ask it anyway um slain underscore underscore on instagram says what makes a good coach uh this is easier than than to then respect uh, telling you names because good coach first of all I think uh, uh, works with a huge humility very well prepared technically it means uh, the workout uh, biological uh, physiological and biochemical background of the workout program and um, individually works with the players and so on. So technically very well prepared. And then at the end, 
He puts everything away, respect the uh, uh, guiding the team, picking the best 13, which is not the best 13 players, but the, the players, the list who can uh, create the, the best team. And then at the end, uh, he has some seventh sense, sense that uh, in, the in the important games has some idea during the games what you cannot teach, what you cannot learn, just gives you something extra to, to give a push to the team to win the game. Uh, on, a, on a similar note, uh, Lucas Geelan, um again, maybe it's an easier question, but it says, which team values are the most important to Danish? So what, what maybe if you can just give one or, one, or maybe three, um, what values are the most important? First of all, you need winning players. You need uh, more than three, because normally, as I told you before, three, four uh performance in a game, 3-4 extra performance is enough to win. But if you have 3-4 players to do that performance, then it's easy for the opposite team to, to neutralize them. So you need 6-7 players with extra value. This is important. Then you need all your players for who the team result is more important than themselves then you need to find a very good team leader inside the team who is a team captain. And uh, at the end, uh, they have to trust the coach and the coach have to trust them. So it means that during the sessions, the coach is the number one. During the game, the coach is a number 14. Because during the game, the players are playing. I haven't ever seen a coach scoring. So you have to give the first uh, positions to your players. They are the prima donna during the game. You are, um, uh, you are the 14s who just help them by changing the players, by changing the tactics and by and uh, by giving them the mental power. Uh, Gergo Busai um, says, who do, you, who do you see to be a water polar powerhouse in the next five years? Mm. Again, very difficult. But I, what I see now that respect the five, ten years ago, Spain and Greece uh, have arrived to the top level. The top level was... Uh, normally composed by Hungary, Serbia, Croatia, Italy. Uh, but now Spain and Greece are on the same level. So probably one of these teams, but you always have to have a special uh, eye on, uh, on overseas teams like United States or Australia, because physically and mentally they are very well prepared. The only thing they normally miss, the experience of the club season. But if they uh, leave players in Europe for different clubs to play, then they can uh, reach the, the level I, I told you before, like Spain and Greece, 
who have reached the level of the other four teams. Yeah, yeah. Like, and uh, you can see a lot of um, a lot of Australians and Americans are coming to Europe right now, and and Spain has has have definitely pushed on. Um, maybe one last one because I know uh, I know you're um, you're you're a bit rushed for time. Uh, away from the pool side, what what keeps you busy right now? Because I know you and me were just talking there about um, just just off recording about walking your dogs. But what 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 what, what things keep you busy? And um, what keeps you away from water polo, if anything? I'm uh, I'm I'm teaching water polo in the physical education university in Budapest. Yeah. So it's a six semester course for the BA uh, education uh, and it gives uh, a diploma to the coaches and there is another course uh, if you have the BA diploma uh, then you can make a master degree with a four semester education this is very interesting because very different you you teach the basics in six semester and then you teach the extra in four semester for master degree, very exciting for me because uh, you know uh, water polo coaching uh, is uh, value is is uh, you have the the value of your coaching by the scoreboard. So uh, when I teach the um, the coaches, I don't know if they are better coach than me or not because we don't play game each other. <laughs> We don't have the scoreboard. Who is the better one? So I just try to give them the strategy of how to coach because I can't be sure that my ideas are better than he, than his or her ideas. So it's interesting. And the other thing that um, uh, vice chairman of uh, FINA coaches committee, it means that we have a subcommittee for water polo, five people, and I'm one of these five. So we give to the technical committee uh, the view of coaches of all decision. Sometimes, sometimes they listen to, sometimes not. That's normal. But we are happy if we can push for some important thing because my I'm convinced that if the rules, if the circumstances helps the coaches, then the coaches... Uh, works the, the work of the coach end result becomes better if the end result becomes better then the end product becomes better because the games will be nicer so we have to to look for all the chance to help the coaches to work as as good as they can then we will have, we have nicer water polo and then it will be much easier uh, for the marketing people for the communication people and so on, if we have a much nicer end product. So that's important. So this is the reason that I'm happy that I'm involved in the coaches committee. Sounds like you're keeping busy and uh, you can't stay away from the water polo and I, I don't blame you. Look, Dennis, thank you very much for joining us. It's been really fascinating and it's been an absolute honor. Okay, thank you very much for your, for your curiosity. What an absolute experience. What a great chat with Dennis. He's a serial winner. Um, he absolutely loves the sport. and I can't wait to speak to him 
again in, in Budapest in the summer. I really hope you enjoyed that chat. Um, stay tuned for our next guest. Uh, we're getting through a few podcasts at the moment. Um, hopefully we'll have one out next week as well. Um, but wherever you are, stay safe. Thank you for tuning in and uh, hopefully we'll see you soon.